Thank you, Mark. And thank you all for gathering and celebrating today the wonderful gift of uh, Jesus Christ and uh, the forgiveness that we have in Him and uh, the openness we have to meet and engage with our, our Almighty Creator um, uh, without, uh, without fear and even with, with boldness. And so today we're, we're going to look uh, particularly at King Saul and his engagement uh, with God in this series that we're on as we're walking through First and Second Samuel of exploring how is it that we have influence how, how has God chosen us to have and placed us in our world to have influence in our world, and um, particularly when we're not in charge? Um, but today we're going to look and learn from King Saul when he is in charge, and we're we're going to ask the question: Why is Saul in the position that he's in? You know, why has God placed him? Why does he have influence? Why do you have influence? Why do I? What? What? Why is it that that is the case, that we are placed in our particular spheres of influence to then have impact in those spaces? We may not be king like Saul, but wherever we are, in our families, communities, neighborhoods, workplaces, in the church, everyday life, we have influence where, because God has placed us there for His purposes which are good and perfect. So we're, we're going to do that with uh, with Saul today. Um, in chapter 15 of 1 Samuel, it starts on page 237 in your, your pew Bible. And you can follow along there. You can follow along on the screen. Um, uh, if, if you want to know the, the, the story before Saul, how we got to this point, that's, uh, you'll, if you're part of the Gospel Project, which is our um, uh, study in the middle hour at, at 10, all are invited to participate in that right after the, the, the service. Um, uh, this week we'll be reading from uh, chapter 8 through uh, 15 to hear the, the story of Saul, but today we're going to focus um, here on the end, really, of, of Saul as as king for all practical purposes. Um, but let's, uh, let's pray together. Gracious God, we give you thanks again for your written word as it speaks to us of your truth. Now, may your spirit prepare us to hear and, and receive in our, not only in our ears, but in our heart and our soul and uh, translate it to our feet and into our hands that we not only will hear, but we will obey. Uh, your your call, your your challenge uh, to us this day. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Your servant hears, Lord. So speak to us. Amen. First Samuel chapter fifteen, starting with uh, verse um, one. And Samuel said to Saul. The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Now, and we're going to walk through this. And I'm just going to take a, a minute and a couple places and just sort of stop and talk about that particular element of the passage. So keep your Bibles um, open if you want to do that with us or the screen will stay there. Um, but we get right here a little collection. All right, well, why is Saul here? Well, it's because God put him there. 
Samuel was the prophet that God had called. And we've talked about Samuel earlier this summer. And now he's coming to Saul and saying, remember, the Lord sent me to anoint you to be in this place, to have this influence at this time. Um, and uh, you will have great influence here. And, and today what we'll find, this is actually a very negative story. We're going to find how Saul forgets why he has the influence that he has. He forgets that God's the one that's placed in there for God's purposes. And we're going to find out how dangerous it is the more influence you do have. Because then it becomes more and more, you're more and more susceptible to want to keep that influence for yourself instead of use that influence as God has ordained you to use it um, accordingly. Because that's what happens with uh, um, with Saul. And, and one, one thing, just to note, you might say, you know, I'm not a king. I do not have influence. You know, I have a couple stories just from this week. You know, um, one, I was reminded that this is a, a, um, a, a weather program that tries to predict the weather. You probably heard of something called the butterfly effect. You know, you heard that, you know, it's, it's, it's this whole system of, you try to predict the weather all around the world and you, they, they go through and say, all right, well this, if th- all these things happen, then it's going to be a pretty day in Cincinnati. And then they go in and change one thing, one little, one little variable in the equation and, uh, and it says, oh, you know, now Cincinnati's going to have thunderstorms um, uh, that are going to rain uh, inches and inches on the city. You can relate to that, many of you, huh? And they say, well, all right, well, that one variable, what did you change? Well, it was a, a group of butterflies in Brazil that were flying and they changed their direction. And that, you know, one thing led to another, led to another, led to another, until on the other side of the world were thunderstorms. So... This last week, blame the butterflies in Brazil. Or, as uh, um, Matt Wilbur shared with me, he's an elder in the church. As many of you know Matt and Kristen uh, Martin. Kristen taught, uh, you know, uh, she taught uh, school for a long time. And uh, she had just this, in a couple weeks ago, had a student come and say to her, Ah, oh, Miss Martin, Miss Martin, of course, Kristen didn't remember, didn't know who she was. You taught me in the sixth grade. And let me introduce to you my husband. Let me introduce to you my children. Let me let me tell you what you said that influenced me. Yeah, you just never know the influence that we can have. And and just yesterday in here we celebrated um, uh, Sam and Barry Stair's fiftieth wedding uh, anniversary. And uh, um, some of you are here because you came in for that um, uh, event. And, uh, and, and we hearkened back to the day 50 plus years ago that Sam and Barry went in for premarital counseling. They thought just to sort of check the boxes and do what they're supposed to do in order to have a church wedding. And uh, Jerry Kirk, who was their pastor, said, you know, let's not talk about having a Christian wedding. Let's talk about a Christian marriage, a Christian home, a Christian family, a Christian Christian life. And Sam and Barry point back to that day 50 years ago as the day that they encountered the living God seriously to give their lives, their marriage, their family. And yesterday we had 250, 350 people in here celebrating 
that 50th wedding anniversary. You just, you never know how a word, a conversation will influence. It might just be, seem like a few butterflies, but then causes a tremendous impact years and years and years later. And so why it's important for us to recognize the influence that we have and how God has placed us, even in those little places, to have influence. So for Saul, he was reminded by Samuel, you are here because God has placed you here. All right. Um, And uh, and actually remember as well, you know, that Jesus reminds us why we have influence. Uh, I'll just quote from you from Matthew 20. This is uh, um, from the the message translation. So it's a little looser and freer, um, sort of fun. This is what Jesus says to his disciples. You've observed how godless rulers throw their weight around. How quickly a little power goes to their heads. It's not going to be that way with you. Whoever wants to be great must be a servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. That is what the Son of Man has done. He came to serve, not to be served. And then to give away his life in exchange for the many who are held hostage. So if God has given us the influence, just as he did to Saul, God has given us the influence for this purpose. To serve. To serve God. To love God. To serve neighbor. To love neighbor. All right. Chapter 2, or verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Now, quick statement here. Uh, this kind of command doesn't usually sit well with modern ears. It may be like, whoa, you know, why? I mean, it, why the infants? Why the donkeys? I mean, what did they have to do with this? Well, part of the story is that uh, Amalek was one of those nations that opposed Israel when they were um, uh, on their journey into the promised land. And they, even at that time, they and the Amalekites were told, you know, let help Israel or you will receive the judgment of Yahweh. Help us through. And they refused um, to do that. They, they opposed God and opposed God's people, causing suffering and death in a variety of ways, not only with Israelites, but with others. And, and this, this particular notion of God's command to Saul captures the, the holiness and the purity of God which we even saw last week as well when 75 of the Israelites were killed for looking inside the Ark of the Covenant, that uh, uh, most uh, holy um, uh, container of the Ten Commandments and, and other, other things. A, um, and so this is a reminder to us of the powerful purity and holiness of God that does bring judgment against sin um, when left unfettered. And so uh, this is what Saul uh, is to do in order to, to bring about the, the total destruction of the Amalekites to uh, not spare any so as to, to destroy the evil that they have done and them as a people. So 
Saul, verse 4, Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Telam, 200,000 men on foot and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites, and Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agog, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agog and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. Now, um, notice one thing here that Saul doesn't, it's not just indiscriminate destruction. He does uh, go through and releases the Kenites because they had helped them along the way uh, so as to, again, demonstrate God's holiness and purity and judgment um, against the evil the Amalekites had done, and then he goes through and defeats them as God had called them to and empowered them to do. But then he keeps the king alive and the best of the livestock. He keeps them alive. And this is, this is become a, a pattern for Saul that he, he he sort of goes about halfway three quarters way doesn't quite complete all that God has charged him and enabled him empowered him to do it wasn't a matter of ability it was a matter of him choosing to say he's going to keep these folks alive then chapter 10 the word or verse 10 the word of the lord came to samuel I regret that I've made Saul king, for he's turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all night. Now again, this is another fascinating passage here, that God regrets, and that Samuel cries out all night. I think, you know, again, there's books written on this. How does how do we understand God regretting? Or in other cases, even it's translated God repenting. But I, I think what um, the the writer is giving us here, particularly by bringing together both God, the picture of the presence of God, and also of Samuel, of the pain of disobedience. The the pain of dis, disobedience, um, even as presented here to God. Now, God's challenging passage in that the, the nature of God and, and God's response to our disobedience. I think this is written so that we can relate emotionally to the pain here. To what this kind of, of disobedience does. Helps us to feel God's reaction even to our own sin and the serious impact of disobedience. So even now, God, as we find out, is going to remove Saul from his kingship. Now, God's plans, God's character, they're not changed. They're they're still accomplished. 
And, and in addition, what, what we, we see here is that God doesn't pout or respond in anger, sort of like Samuel is doing, or like I would do, or maybe some of you would do. You recall times when your, your own children hurt you just with direct disobedience or dishonesty. And in some of our worst moments, just the anger overtakes us and either we, we lash out in that anger or we give them the silent treatment. I'm afraid I can think of exact stories when that was my reaction. But God responds perfectly. There's this, this sense of the, the, the emotion, the depth, the regret, the sadness, and then also the correction. God has given Saul the influence here for God's work and God's purposes, and Saul disobeys. Verse 12. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. And it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself, and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, in one of the great little humorous words of the scriptures, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? And the lowing of oxen that I hear. Saul said, They brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we've devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop! I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, Speak. And Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and the fight, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I've obeyed the voice of the Lord. I've gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I've brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Now, from our perspective, Saul is caught red-handed, but... He seems to be clueless to it, right? He seems to be avoiding, sidestepping, twisting around, blaming. Totally missing the point of the reason that he has influence. He has fallen into the trap of keeping the influence he has for himself. I mean, a couple things as we read through here. Um, one, he... he he wanted to be known and famous. He wanted to leave a legacy. He wanted to have influence. And that's why in verse 12, did you, did you note that? That on his way home, he said, hey, let's stop here and build a temple. Build a little monument to me. 
The reason that he has power and influence from his perspective is so that he can be known, so that he can have fame. He's, he's now lost the purpose for his influence to serve God. And instead, he's serving himself. And then, then we see that, that he's clever in negotiating and using this power and influence, trying to keep everybody happy. Trying to keep the people happy, trying to keep God happy, you know, just trying to satisfy them all. Because what would have happened when you, you took your people into war is that they, if they were victorious, part of their pay, you know, was what they got. When they overtook people, they were then able to take their livestock. They, when they conquered them, they were able to take the people as their slaves. That was part of the pay of what they got. So they, they probably were going in expecting that. So when they, God leads them to lie waste this place, they're like, why waste it all to destruction? Now, now it could be, let's, let's give it first thought, let's give um, Saul here the benefit of the doubt. That he was like, yeah, I'm just going to, we're going to keep the best and then we're going to bring it home. And there we're going to sacrifice to God. Even if we, now many of us, cynical as we are, we're like, right, Saul, yeah, good, good story. Just trying to say that to satisfy Samuel in the moment. But even if he's being honest, I mean... Really? How do you think God was going to respond to that? Oh, Sam, Saul, good idea. I didn't think about that. Yeah, I was wrong. You know, don't just lead them all to destruction. Bring the best here and sacrifice them to me. Do you see what Saul, even if Saul's thinking that way, you know what he's thinking? He's putting God in his image. Because he wants a monument. Doesn't God? So should, couldn't we just take the best? I mean, he, he's, he's really put in his own head now this sort of notion. And, and he's thinking that he's making the people happy and he's making God happy by now using the best and making a sacrifice to God. Instead of destroying the evil and demonstrating on obedience... As later on in verse 19, Samuel says, you pounced on the spoil. You you pounced on that for yourself. And ultimately, it's what he's doing. He's, He's using the influence for himself. His ultimate goal is not what brings God glory, but what maximizes his profit. How does he benefit the most? Now, he might be a nice guy. Uh, well liked king, but he see how he's moved. The danger of influence now has become his God. And I think you see that in, in keeping Agag, the king. He kept him alive. And you might ask why. I mean, that's really sort of an interesting... Why, why? Usually, you know, you, you cut off the head. You kill the king. Well, man, then the people, you know, they'll, they'll scatter, right? But why keep the king? Well, it was a common in Saul's day that when you conquered a land, you got to take as king folks as your own slaves, as your own servants. So now, isn't it going to make Saul look good when he goes to conferences with other kings and Agag is his butler? The king of the Amalekites is now his butler. It's going to make him look really good among the others. So he is there using his influence over for again for himself. But then Samuel says, 
to, uh, to Saul. Verse uh, 22. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. So Samuel now makes it clear. No, this is why you were put in position of influence. This is why you have influence. This is why we have influence in order to use it there to do what is right, to do what is just, to do what is good. I mean, the common command, most common word in here is obey or listen. And in the Hebrew, it's the same word. When you truly listen, you listen to obey. When you're truly listening and hearing God, then you'll do what he says. And similar to last week when the Israelites were playing with the ark and trying to use it you know, as a good luck charm. They were playing religious, putting on a religious show, using religious language. I mean, Saul does. I mean, he says all, all the right stuff. Using God for their own blessing. They're using God to get influence or the necessities of life and then to keep that influence, to use that influence even to protect themselves. Sort of using, using God as a divine butler or, or the divine app on your phone when, when he's in trouble or like the movie that's out, you know, Aladdin. God is the, the genie that comes out when we pray. No, God has said, no, I've anointed you, put you in this position to fulfill my good and perfect purposes. You, you don't know, Saul, when, when what you are doing, how it's going to influence the generations to come. And so our, our challenge today and our positions of influence, whether in charge or not, is to be sure we're in tune with why do we have the influence we have. Why do we have that, that sphere, whether it's at, at home, at work, in church, or community? God has given you, given us influence. Even as a citizen, even as a citizen, we have vo- voice and vote. We have influence. Is it for God's righteousness? Or is it for our own protection that we use that influence? I must disagree with those who say, me first, or my family first, or America first. I must say, first and foremost, God is first. As an employer or an employee, is our influence for God or for profit or for protection of my job? There are times when I, I need to speak God's directive, like saying to you, I think saying America first transcends God's command. Not an easy thing to say. There are some of you that bristled at that. But if that's what I believe God's word to be, then I must stand forward, even if folks will disagree, to speak that word, if I believe that's what God says. Sometimes the influence we have will put us in positions that are dangerous. Well, people might disagree. As I've said many times, we don't usually face the raised sword, but we oftentimes may face the raised eyebrow. In our own families, are we influences for God? Or, or does that family become just the place for our own peace? 
There's a warning here that influence and power and leadership can be very dangerous, just as it was with Saul. Because once we get it, we don't want to lose it. And instead of using it for the way that God has charged us, the way God has commanded us, we will then start to do everything we can to keep the influence that we have and we fall into the trap of Saul. And, and we see here, what, what we want to learn from Saul is, we want to learn from him how are things, ways we can catch ourselves. You know, how are we denying what God is telling us? How are we blaming other people instead of first looking in the mirror? How are we twisting the point trying to please God and please people and please all the different things instead of serving Him first and foremost? You know, what's, what's interesting here, the very, the, the, right after that Saul, he doesn't confess until after he's told God's going to remove you from the kingship. Verse 24, right after Samuel says, now he's going to reject you from being king. It's then that Samuel says, I've sinned for I've transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. But he doesn't confess until he realizes he's going to lose power, to lose his position, to lose his influence. He's confessing even here, not in order to say, God, I've, I've sinned against you. He's confessing here because, hey, is this what I need to do so that I can stay in the position? And the good news for us, as we learn from Saul, we see the ways that, that, that we want to see in ourselves. Are we trying to deny what God is saying? Are we blaming others? Are we twisting the points in some way, trying to negotiate that we don't have to be like Saul. We simply can confess our sin openly and honestly. When we, when we are caught, when we've used our influences for ourselves instead of for God, instead of learning to love God and learn our neighbor, when we've used it for, for ourselves. And man, we can just confess that to God. And in Jesus Christ, we are cleansed. We are changed in the power of His Holy Spirit and continue to be transformed. This is the good news. That, that God has placed us in our positions. And in our failure and our weakness and, and our fear, He will continue as we are listening and engaging with Him and confessing our sin. Now, it's a whole, whole nother month that we get to a, um, uh, we'll get to a story of confession before God by one and influence that is beautiful and, and redemptive. So you'll have to wait a whole month um, to get there. Just take my word for it. That God has placed you in positions of influence for good, for His plans, to have a butterfly effect that maybe you don't even realize. But they're dangerous. Be on guard. Yeah, do some preventative work here of realizing the power of power and influence when we realize that we have that. It's not for my fame, my protection, or even my pleasure, but for God's glory and honor. Let's be in prayer that the Holy Spirit, both individually in our own lives and for us as a church, will reveal to us the influence that God has placed us in and that God will protect us from making our position and power an idol that we seek to protect and to keep for ourselves And instead, as Jesus told us, that we will give it away. And there, as we give it away, as we use it for God's glory, 
to grow in love of God and neighbor, there we will receive life and life to the full. Amen.